The state of your gut prior to the antibiotics is one of the most important predictors of how you're going to respond to these antibiotics. So if you have a healthy gut, you are more resilient to any sort of negative effects that can happen from these antibiotics. What this means is you want to already be working on your gut health, like today. I say it all the time, gut health is way too important for us to wait until we are sick to start working on this issue. And this is an example, a perfect example of how that statement is so true is all of a sudden you get sick, you do need antibiotics, you want your gut to be as strong as possible. Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us coast to coast in the U.S. and in more than 150 countries. Hi to everyone listening in Walla Walla, Washington, Gulf Shores, Alabama, and Luxor, Egypt. Wherever you are, we appreciate you helping to make the world a healthier place. This is episode 42 of season 6, number 438 overall. And today we are answering a question that we get asked all the time here on the show. How can I reset my microbiome after taking antibiotics? This question comes up time and time and time again. So what we wanted to do was take some time at the very top of the show to talk all about that. And there is no better person to help guide us through those answers than our good friend, the author of Fiber Fuel, two-time New York Times bestseller, Dr. Will Bolsowitz, the gut health MD, is here making a house call with us today. So he's going to be tackling antibiotics and microbiome. Then we're going to open up the doctor's mailbag, answer a whole bunch of questions that were sent in by the exam roomies who were able to join us live on Facebook and on YouTube. And as a reminder, you can join us every Wednesday, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific as well. Get your question answered by the experts right then, right there in real time. But before we get going with today's show, want to remind you about our big live and in-person show in New York on July 12th. Huge all-star lineup of health. We have Rip Esselstyn from Plant Strong joining us that night. Renowned cardiologist Dr. Robert Osfeld will also be in the house along with myself and, of course, Dr. Neil Barnard. Tickets are moving fast. PCRM.org slash events to get yours or click the link in the episode notes. I promise you this. It is going to be one of the most heart-healthy nights of your life. We are really putting an emphasis on everything you need to know to make sure that you are not a statistic when it comes to heart disease. Remember, 80%, at least 80% of heart disease cases are preventable according to most estimates. And therefore, we want to give you everything that you need to know to be among that 80% and... We're going to have a lot of fun and eat some amazing food along the way. So PCRM.org slash events to join myself, Dr. Barnard, Dr. Osfeld, and of course, Rip Esselstyn for the exam room live and in person in New York on July 12th. But right now, how about a conversation with our good friend, the gut health MD, Dr. Will Bolsowitz, and resetting your microbiome after antibiotics. my man happy fiber fueled week oh thank you chuck it's a pleasure to be here i'm coming to you live from the fiber fueled studio presented by chuck <laughs> carroll chuck where are you i don't know that your studio is presented by chuck carroll although you are chuck carroll i'm in the hangar studios today in new york city presented by i guess our sponsorship rights are open at this point very so, cool very cool but let's get to what it is that we got to get to today because that's proper english I want to talk to you about antibiotics and the gut and how to get it back on track after you take them. It is literally, my friend, one of the most frequently asked questions that we get here on the show. So when you are working with patients, what do you prescribe to say, hey, this is what you should do after you go through that? Well, so this is one of the most common questions that I get to Chuck. And I, I think that, you know, the way that this typically understand why this is, is a person finds themselves on antibiotics and they sort of 
all of a sudden it hits them like holy holy moly i'm on antibiotics and this is going to screw up my gut so let me reach out to the gut health guy and find out what i need to do and i just want to like hit the pause button for a for a moment and rewind the tape like and it goes backwards a couple days earlier so that we can say the work starts before you are even prescribed the antibiotic all right, because I actually think that this is where the opportunity exists. There's a few things that I want to say about this before we even get to what do you do now that you're on the antibiotic. Let's talk about before you're even given that prescription. First of all, most of the prescriptions for antibiotics in the United States, Chuck, are actually completely unnecessary. You would never treat a viral infection with antibiotics. And this becomes very important when we talk about some specific things, for example, viral upper respiratory infections, or if you have a viral gut bug. On the topic of a viral gut bug, a couple of things. This is like the 24-hour thing. In some cases, it can go a little bit more than 24 hours, maybe two days or three days, but it's going to be self-limited. And in that situation where it's just like a quick little 24 to three day, uh, one to three day thing, you don't want to be taking antibiotics. It's not going to help you. And it actually exposes you to increased risk. So the first question should always be, if you are being prescribed antibiotics, you should ask your doctor, do I need these antibiotics? What happens if I don't take these antibiotics? Because if you don't need them, then we shouldn't be taking them. And the benefits should be so clear, so transparent your doctor should be able to clearly state, here is the reason why I want you to take this antibiotic. Because if they can't answer that question, then we have a problem. Right. The, the second thing is that the state of your gut prior to the antibiotics is one of the most important predictors of how you're going to respond to these antibiotics. What I'm saying is context. Context is very important. So if you have a healthy gut, you are more resilient to the to any sort of negative effects that can happen from these antibiotics. What this means is you want to already be working on your gut health, like today. I say it all the time. Gut health is way too important for us to wait until we are sick to start working on this issue. We all need to, it is so important that we all, even in complete health, need to be focusing on this issue to try to enhance our gut health. And this is an example, a perfect example of how that statement is so true is all of a sudden you get sick, you do need antibiotics. You want your gut to be as strong as possible. This is where fiber comes in. The research has shown Chuck, and there was a study published in, in the summer of 2021. I will say this was an animal model study, but we see similar stuff in humans where they looked at the impact of diet on your response to antibiotics. How much does, do the antibiotics actually affect your microbiome in, in a negative way? And how quickly do you recover? And the interesting thing about it, Chuck, is that they discovered that a high fiber diet, number one, reduces the injury or harm that antibiotics do to you. Number two, um, increases your ability to recover from the antibiotics. So in other words, when people are on a low fiber diet, which by the way, this is 95% of America, it may not be most of the exam room listeners, but 95% of America is on a low fiber diet. If you're on a low fiber diet, the antibiotics will cause increased harm to your, to your microbiome. And second, you will not recover as quickly from those antibiotics. So the starting point, Chuck, is to focus on fiber. I'm happy to talk about anything you want related to that. I have some other stuff that we could talk about too, but I, I thought maybe I'd pause there. Yeah, no, that's a pretty in-depth answer to kind of kick us off. Um, I guess my question before we go any further is what exactly happens to the gut though after somebody does take antibiotics? Because I remember growing up and my mom, who is not a doctor by any stretch of the imagination, basically did her best to explain it to me in that it just kills everything that's down there, the good bacteria, the bad bacteria, it just kind of wipes everything out. Is that really how the antibiotic works? Generally speaking, your mom was completely right. Um, oh, I hate mom. This, this is not, you know, um, this is not a precise targeted scalpel. This is not surgical. We're not just taking out the bad guys. 
this is imprecise. It's just basically widespread decimation that is taking out bad guys, but is also taking out good guys. And that that combination of just generally um, reducing the microbiome across the across the board, there's sort of two things that come out of that 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 we don't like. I mean, the good thing is like you get rid of the the bacterial infection. Okay, great. But there's two things that come out of this that we don't like. The first is that you're actually selecting for the antibiotic-resistant bugs. So whichever bugs are able to resist those antibiotics, they're actually now at an advantage. They're going to grow stronger, and they're going to be more profoundly represented in your gut. The second thing that happens is you expose your risk. You expose yourself to increased risk of actually new pathogenic issues, new diseases. So an example of this is something called Clostridioides difficile or C. diff. When you reduce the good gut bugs, these good gut bugs are actually helping to protect you, believe it or not. When you reduce them, you actually are increasing your risk of this pathogenic bacteria multiplying and becoming dominant and becoming problematic. And so this is where a person can take antibiotics for one reason, be done with the antibiotics, and emerge on the other side with a new bacterial infection that again, will either be treated with antibiotics or in some cases, actually Chuck, what's interesting and works so incredibly well is a fecal transplant. The fecal transplant helps to restore the good gut bugs and suppress that unhealthy bacteria, the C. diff. Wow. Uh, well, I don't think that um, the, the average person is, is going to be opting for the fecal transplant straight away. Um, but so let me ask you this. So basically, I want to go back to what it was you were explaining with that complete decimation and then how fiber plays an important role. If you're starting from scratch at that point and you're just rebuilding the microbiome because you've dropped a bomb in there and everything's gone, that then is why fiber is so critical, right? Because it's one of the healthiest nutrients that a person has for their gut. And that, would I be correct in assuming, is really one of the foundations that the microbiome will be built back upon? Yeah, and, and not just built back upon, but supported through this process. Um, so the the fiber, you know, the, the term that we use is prebiotic. Prebiotic means that this is food for these microbes. And when you feed them, they grow, they literally multiply. There are more of them as a result of this. Now you can imagine like when you're in actively destroying microbes, not only do you want them to grow back in sort of a recovery mode, but during those days that you're actually on the antibiotics, you actually, you still, you want them to be multiplying during that exact moment because the, the more that they're multiplying, the less damage that actually takes place during the process of taking those antibiotics. So, and this is where Chuck, you know, being on a high fiber diet, if you are on the high fiber diet ahead of time, you already have a more um, healthy microbiome and more resilient microbiome that's more prepared to sort of take this punch to the face. But while you're on, I, I would say like, you want the high fiber diet before the antibiotics, you want the high fiber diet during the antibiotics, you want the high fiber diet after the antibiotics. And this to me is like a foundational approach to how we manage this, this issue. There's a couple other things that we can talk about, Chuck. Um, the other thing that kind of is interesting that comes up in this space, and you know, even to this day, if you read about it on the internet or you may even hear from your doctor, people think that probiotics are the key when you take antibiotics. And the answer is actually they're not. It's surprising because you would think antibiotic, okay, the solution is probiotic. Like it's just intuitive and I get it. And I spent most of my career giving people probiotics after antibiotics, but there was a study that was published, I think in 2018, it may have been 2019. Uh, I know it was September for sure. I remember I was sitting at a meeting when they published it and they started talking about this publicly. And essentially, this was done at the Weizmann Institute in Israel, where they robustly showed us that when people take antibiotics, the recovery of their gut microbiome is actually negatively impacted by taking probiotics. You actually slow the recovery process. Now, this is not to say that there is zero role for probiotics or that no one should ever take probiotics. Those are overarching statements that are not true. This is to say the vast majority of people when they take antibiotics should not be taking probiotics afterwards. 
the ones who probably should. Now, you want to discuss this with your doctor. This is not just Dr. B's advice on the internet. You discuss it with your doctor, but the ones who probably should are the ones who have a history of a C. diff infection in the past or are, are at higher risk for a C. diff infection because what we do know about probiotics is they can help to reduce the likelihood of you developing that C. diff infection. So if you're at higher risk for that, then that's there is value to that in that setting. Yeah, and Betsy right now, who's watching us on Facebook, looks says C. diff is no joke. I took care of my friend with C. diff, and it was horrendous. She said that her friend had two fecal transplants. I mean, that that just does not sound like a whole heck of a lot of fun. Well, and the the thing that's interesting about this is like fecal transplants. Like, I, I, I totally get any sort of like negative reaction or stigma that people have towards these things. I had the exact same reaction 20 years ago when I was in medical school and I heard that they were doing this at the university of Iowa. And I was like, those crazy Iowa people, like, what are you doing? You are insane. No offense to anyone from Iowa. It's a great state with great people. But, um, you know, 10 years ago, Chuck, a little more than 10 years ago, like 2009, 2010, 2011, C diff was ripping through the United States, resistant strains of C diff, people were not getting better on antibiotics. One of the problems with C. diff, we treat it with antibiotics. And the problem is that like you treat it with antibiotics, well, that's how we got into this mess in the first place. And so for a huge percentage of these people, they were just like perpetually, literally, perpetually on antibiotics. And we couldn't take them off the antibiotics because when you took them off the antibiotics, the C. diff came back. Mm. And it was the development of this um, therapeutic that I was, you know, basically shaking my head at 20 years ago, fecal transplant that changed everything. And it is shocking, Chuck, how you will take a person who is extremely sick with a recurrent C. diff infection that is not going away and you give them a fecal transplant and 90% of the time they are completely better within 48 hours. And this is the person who was bringing up how serious this is. Um, it is serious. I've had patients who had to have their colon removed because of C. diff infection. Again, this was more than 10 years ago. I've had patients who uh, have died from C. diff infection. So the fecal, the availability of fecal transplant was a complete game changer in the space. And it's fascinating to think about how it works. It's so interesting. I, I mean, that's what I'm trying to figure out is like, how exactly does that work? Is what is getting absorbed from that transplant that's really going to treat the infection? Is it a matter simply then also of just crowding out the bad stuff and, and replacing it with good stuff? Like how, what is the mechanism there? We are literally demonstrating the protective effects of these microbes. You know, these microbes are so hard for us to wrap our mind around because they're invisible. We can't see them. Even though they're there, there's trillions of them, and they actually estimate that the weight of our microbiome is as much as our brain. But it's still, despite that, it's so hard for us to wrap our mind around them even being there, let alone what they're doing. Yet in this case, Chuck, we are literally demonstrating how these microbes work to protect us. Because think about the sequence of events, Chuck. You take an antibiotic, the antibiotic damages and reduces your microbiome, the good guys. You have less good guys. This C. diff infection, which is resistant to the antibiotic that you just took, it sees this opportunity. There's no guards in the jail anymore. I can break out. Let me break out and let me just do what I do, which is raise, you know what? So the C. Yeah. diff multiplies, it grows. I don't know what kind of language I'm allowed to use here, Chuck, so I'm keeping it PG. That's like we're all adults here. Okay, fair enough. It's, <laughs> I, I won't tell you take you up on that, but <laughs> I could have a sailor mouth, but I won't. Um, the C. diff multiplies, it grows, it takes over, it causes what's called C. diff colitis. All right, this is an infection. Now, think about this. So the antibiotics got us into this mess. Now think about this. How do we restore? How do we repair? We have to, we have to restore the gut ecosystem. We have to bring back the good guys. But a probiotic is not enough. Once the C. diff infection is set in, it's not enough to shut down this infection. We need something more. We need the full weight of the gut ecosystem. And that's what you're doing, Chuck. It's not what the fecal transplant um, absorbs or anything like that. This is not getting into your bloodstream. It stays within the tube of the intestine. But what it does is it basically washes down to this area or in the case of 
the way that I've always done fecal transplants, you do them during a colonoscopy and you administer it while the patient is there asleep. And you're basically, you're installing a new gut ecosystem and this new gut ecosystem then like, boom, C. diff, you're on the out, good guys are back, We're, we're putting you back in jail and we're locking you up, buddy. So let me ask kind of a juvenile question, but I know, I just know, Dr. B, I am not the only one wondering this. I know how to donate blood. How does one go about donating dung for something like this? <laughs> um, well, back in the day, Chuck, when I was a GI fellow, we didn't have any sort of repository that we could use to... Um, to do this. So what we would do is we would have family donors. We would have someone from the family who was willing to bring a specimen in into the hospital and we would test them ahead of time. So we would test them for certain specific sort of pathogens and things like this. We wanted to make sure that we weren't going to transmit, you know, accidentally an infection from the family member to this recipient who's in a vulnerable place. And we would chuck literally, I'm not kidding. We had a Vitamix <laughs> and we used to make a slurry and basically pull it up into a syringe and then administer it during a colonoscopy. Well, look, that wasn't fun. And I was the GI fellow. So the GI fellow is the one who gets to do this, right? That's the way it was. Um, but it helped people. And yeah. it was the most important thing. It helped people. It was amazing. It had me beyond convinced in the power of what was happening. And frankly, this is before I was ever interested in the microbiome. We're talking like 2011, 2012 right now, 2014 yeah. is where I started to pivot towards the microbiome. Yeah. So, but um, now today, Chuck, we have repositories. We have places where people actually give specimens to these, these places. They collect them, they test the person, they test the stool, they make sure that everything is safe and then they put it into a form so that it becomes incredibly easy for the doctor to administer during a procedure. Yeah. I just, I can't envision there ever being a drive for that, like a blood drive where they give you juice and cookies afterwards, you know, for donating. Uh <laughs> well, no, there's never, I'm not aware that they do that, but um, I will tell you that if I have to re receive a fecal transplant, I want one from someone that eats the way that I do. Like I want to, not to be weird, but I want a Chuck Carroll fecal transplant. If this is what I have to do, you <laughs> one. Let it be someone who's healthy, who eats a nice, clean diet, who has a great, healthy microbiome and is eating a lot of plants. That's what I want. Whenever you need, you just give me a holler, man. I got something for you. Uh, if you have a question for Dr. B, go ahead and post that in the comments or in the chat. We're going to get to as many as we can here as we open up the doctor's mailbag. Uh, as the mailbag keeps getting stuffed here, let's talk about some specific foods. We talk generally speaking about fiber, but what are some of your favorite specific foods that you would recommend for somebody both as their uh, going through the course of antibiotics and then also building back up after the fact. Yeah. So um, we're speaking generally about fiber, but I'm not advocating for people to just pop a, a fiber supplement and make no other dietary changes. To me, we go back to the basic principles. There hasn't been a clinical trial to prove what I'm about to say, Chuck. This is um, me going, taking the data as far as I can take the data and then going with additional data on terms of what we know about gut health and how things work. And, you know, I think that the key, there's two things I would say. First of all, you want to focus on um, plant-based diversity. So you want to eat a wide variety of different plants because we know that each individual plant has unique forms of fiber that feed specific microbes of specific families of microbes. We want all of the microbes to be fed. So when we eat a diverse, abundant plant-based diet, um, when I say plant-based, I'm speaking very sort of loosely. This is not exclusively vegan necessarily, but like I want you to be getting most of your calories from plants. And when we do that, then we're going to be feeding all these different microbes. The other thing that I would say, Chuck, is that, so I just mentioned like don't, the vast majority of people, you don't need a probiotic. It's a little bit different, but we can be eating fermented foods. It's not the same as taking a probiotic capsule. Probiotic capsule is usually one or just a limited select few microbes in a very concentrated sort of unnatural amount. Flip side, eating fermented foods. We've been doing this since like since the beginning of time. And um, maybe, maybe we didn't have a jar to create our ferment, but we were picking up food off the ground that was fermented. And the thing about fermented food is that it, when it's a fermented plant, we're talking about sauerkraut or kimchi, um, tempeh, 
um, when it's a fermented plant, you are getting the fiber, but you're also simultaneously re-inoculating yourself with friendly microbes. And there was research done at Stanford University, Chuck, where they gave people an increased amount of fermented food in their diet. And in just 10 weeks, they saw that they added diversity to their microbiome. Now, that was not within the context of antibiotics, but antibiotics reduce the diversity in our microbiome. We want to restore that diversity after the fact. And one of the ways that we can do this is with fermented food. So message, more plant diversity, more fermented food, those two things. Interesting question uh, from TJ sent this to me on Instagram ahead of time. I'm not sure that you know the answer to this or if studies have even been done on this. Generally speaking, though, uh, TJ was wondering because the microbiome with somebody who's eating a plant-based diet, a healthy plant-based diet, tends to be a little bit healthier than somebody who's eating the standard American diet, whether antibiotics then uh, tend to be more effective for somebody who is eating healthy. Do you know if there are studies on that? I have not seen data to overtly say that, Chuck, but there are ways in which I can imagine this to be true. And part of this is that you are helping to protect. Um, and when, I, when, when we say vegans, like <laughs> we have to make sure that we're making the distinction. There's a difference between eating whole plant foods and eating things that are in your supermarket as ultra processed foods and they're vegan. And yet they're being labeled as plant based. Like I actually don't really love that, that it's being called plant based. That's not plant based to me. Um, so, but the, the key here though, is that there are ways in which if you're eating a plant-based diet, um, high in whole plant foods that you are causing less harm to the microbiome, that you are actually helping to protect the, your immune system and your defenses against infection. And so for this reason, I do, I do think that this would make sense. The antibiotics would be more effective, but I have not seen a clear study to prove that. Kind of a nuanced, specific kind of a question here from Dar1213. It came in at 1211. Uh, wondering about whether all of this applies for somebody who has a specific condition like Crohn's, or um, are there some other extra steps that somebody with Crohn's might want to take to get the gut reset after taking antibiotics? Well, th that's a complicated uh, thing. And I, I, I think that the answer, though, to be honest with you, is... Um, even higher vigilance to these particular sort of things that we're discussing. There's one exception to this, Chuck. People with Crohn's disease, and this is specific to Crohn's disease, and it's not everyone who has Crohn's disease. Crohn's disease is a rather uh, heterogeneous disease condition where um, there's sort of different phenotypes, different types of Crohn's. One of the phenotypes is that people will have what's called stricturing small bowel disease. Again, not everyone who has Crohn's has this. But these people, they will develop scar tissue within their small intestine that actually will narrow the caliber, narrow the lumen of the small intestine and affect their ability to pass things through. And this can be problematic for them with um, fiber, specifically fiber that's coming from roughage. So, or skins, they, you really need to break down those things in order for people who have this particular form of Crohn's disease. So that's, and that's the individual patient. And they should know that prior to this scenario that we're describing. This is something that should be already part of their life. Um, that being said, let's add some stuff that we haven't yet discussed, Chuck. We've been talking about diet, but the other thing that I want to add is this is not just about diet. In the 2021, July 2021 study that I was previously referencing when I mentioned the role of fiber in helping to protect us, the other thing that they found, this is interesting, this was uh, an animal model study, so it was done with mice. They found that when the mice were living by themselves, the recovery was not as strong. When the mice were living with other mice, the recovery was much more strong. The point is that your environment impacts your ability to recover from antibiotics. Part of your environment are the people that you live with. In fact, there's human-based studies that show that we share our microbiome with people that we cohabitate with. So part of this is who you live with, but part of this is also how you live, sleep, exercise, time spent outdoors, and avoiding the things that are going to um, be toxic to your microbiome. This is the time to cut back on alcohol and sweets and artificial foods 
and saturated fat. Those are the things that we know cause harm to our microbiome. This is the time to double, triple, quadruple down on a clean, healthy lifestyle where you go to bed, you get your sleep, you get your exercise, you're not eating those things or consuming alcohol, and you're eating mostly plants. Man, that is fascinating that you share the microbiome with your environment, the people that you're living with, man. Those are the kind of nuggets, Dr. B, that you bring to the show that you just kind of sneak in there, just kind of like nonchalantly, but then it's just like, holy crap, what this guy just said is brilliant. And that's why I'm super stoked that it's also Fiber Fueled Week. And man, people can go over to your website and really sit under the learning tree and just go to town with a whole bunch of this stuff. And because it's Fiber Fueled Week, all of your courses are 20% off, right? Yeah. So the scoop here is that the month of May is a really special month for me. Um, it was May 12th of 2020 that Fiber Fields came out. And then it was May 19th of 2022 that the Fiber Fields Cookbook came out. So both of my books, which I mean, like launching a book is like having a child in a way, not as good as having a child, but there's a lot that goes into it. And so both of my books came out in May. So basically we're celebrating the anniversaries of these books. And one of the ways that we're celebrating is basically like, a, I don't know when I ever do this, maybe Black Friday for 24 hours, I guess, but um, we're discounting all the courses. So it's this specific week. We're calling it Fiber Fueled Week. So I have seven courses that are available at a 20% discount. So for people who are interested in constipation or acid reflux or gas and bloating or food intolerances, or you want to take my master class, which is like basically going back to college and learning about gut health, that's all available at a 20% discount this week. This is part of my celebration of, of these books. The other thing is that um, my cookbook. It came out almost a year ago. And so this is like, I think you know this, Chuck, the amount of effort that you put into these things, you just, you just, you just want people to check it out. Like that's the most important thing to me. So you can check it out at your library um, or you can grab a copy of it. But I'm very proud of this cookbook. And now is, if you haven't taken the plunge, now's the perfect time to take that plunge, check out the book. And we are almost to, to 2000 reviews on Amazon. And I just kind of thought it'd be a cool thing to do. It would be for us to get that above 2,000 reviews by the time we hit the one-year anniversary. Like, it's an arbitrary thing. Who, who really cares, honestly? But it's like, look, as a community, like we should feel proud together of this book and, and everything that's happened in the past year. So let's 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 go for that. No question about it. Here's the cool thing. Uh, we've got links to both your website, theplantfedgut.com, in the show description, as well as a link to the Fiber Fueled Cookbook on Amazon. So if you guys want to click on that and just keep listening to the show in the background as you write your reviews, go for it. Let's try to get our good friend over the 2000 mark. Um, Christina here has a really good question. I want to get to this one from 1206. Christina wants to know, how do I know if I have good gut health, what are the signs? How will a person know if their gut is in good working order? So it's interesting because I'm actually actively involved with uh, Zoe. As you know, Chuck, this is a personalized nutrition company. I'm, I'm their U.S. medical director. And these are the types of questions that we're working on addressing on the testing side is like, how, how do we define a healthy microbiome? And the answer is like when it comes to testing, it's really sort of context dependent. What, what do you want your microbiome to do? So, but the way that I approach this doesn't necessarily require testing. In fact, the way that I approach this is something that you can just answer literally as we're sitting here today. So for all the people who are here with us with the exam room podcast, let me just put this out to you. The question to me is, how do I know if I have good gut health? How do you feel? That's my question. How do you feel? Do you feel well? Do you feel energized? Um, do you feel like you're thriving? Do you struggle with food? Do you get food intolerances? Do you struggle with symptoms? They could be digestive symptoms, gas, bloating, um, discomfort, diarrhea, constipation. And the other thing that I would put out to um, the exam room uh, community is, do you have medical conditions that have been associated with a damaged or disrupted gut microbiome. Now, in my first book, Fiber Fueled, I, in the first chapter, like literally listed these. And, I, and I, it's impossible for me to list all of them. I, 
I would surely forget many, but we're talking about digestive health conditions. So like irritable bowel syndrome, acid reflux, Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, but we're also talking about metabolic issues. So obesity, diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, heart disease. Um, we're talking about immune related issues. So that includes allergic problems and autoimmune problems. We're talking about hormonal things. So that includes like, for example, in women, endometriosis, um, polycystic ovary syndrome. And then finally, uh, our gut affects our mood and our brain health. So mood disorders are also connected to our gut health. So as, as you sit there and you think, do you feel well? Are you thriving? Are you energized? Are you uh, struggling with food symptoms, food intolerances? Are you struggling with digestive symptoms? Do you have any of the conditions associated with a damaged gut? And this is just, I mean, thinking for yourself, if the answer is yes, then these are measures or markers that your gut is not where we currently want it to be. But to be honest with you, Chuck, whether you answer yes or no, and regardless of the intensity or severity of these things that we're discussing, I just think that gut health matters for all of us, honestly. And the reason why is because it is so, we've, we talked about at the beginning, it is so important. It is so central to human health and everything that matters to us, including our energy and our ability to enjoy our days. And so because it's so central, this should be a source, like if you're going to be paying attention to your health, this should be one of the ways that you're paying attention to your health. We should all be installing diet and lifestyle habits that promote a healthy gut. And so don't wait until there's a problem. Don't wait until some of these issues are popping up. Do it now. Start today. Dude, I, I love your passion for this, man. I, I just, I find it so good, man. And you bring such great information to the show. That's, I just love it when you're on every month, man. You have no idea. Uh, let's see if we can grab. I love you three. too, man. <laughs> my guy, Mon Frere. Uh, let's get uh, three more before we wrap things up. Interesting question from DJ, who sent me kind of a, a long-winded question on Instagram as well, at Chuck Carroll WLC is where you can find me. Um, he wanted to know what happens to the gut when you are a chronic overeater, but you're eating really healthy, whole food, plant-based foods, right? And he was explaining that he eats all healthy all the time, but he also eats kind of throughout the night. He's just always, always, always eating and never really gives his gut a chance to just kind of take a breather. So what happens when you're a chronic overeater, but it's all healthy food? Well, none of us eat all healthy food, first of all. I mean, let's just be honest. We're all doing our best. Um, we're going to have some mix of healthy food and less healthy food. And like, you know, I'm going to have some chocolate in there. I'm going to have some things that I'm not trying to hide it. Like, it, you know, there are things that I enjoy and that's why I consume them. It's not because I think that it's the perfect diet. So um, that being said, I think that the answer to this question really is less about what you eat and more about when you eat. Um, we know from uh, uh, intermittent fasting studies, Chuck, that our gut actually has a circadian rhythm. Circadian rhythm, what I'm talking about here, if you've never heard of this term or expression, is we're talking about the 24-hour clock. So life on this planet is uh, really built around a 24-hour clock. And central to that is the rise of the sun and the fall of the sun at night. And this really defines so much about our biology. In fact, if you look, Chuck, I was, by the way, I was just at Digestive Disease Week on Sunday. Uh, I was presenting two... Uh, research papers. And I attended a, a, a talk on this topic. And it's shocking because the number of genes in our body that are affected one way or, or another by this 24-hour clock, it's mind-blowing. It's like 60 to 70% of the genes in our body are basically changing in response to this 24-hour clock. So at different times of the day, things are behaving differently. So the answer to this question, Chuck, 
is that our body thrives when we gut give our gut a break. And that break for your gut, by the way, rest, does not start the minute you stop eating. That rest is delayed by hours, several hours. So, for example, if you eat late at night, you know, 10, 11 o'clock at night, you have that midnight snack, and then you wake up early the next morning and you get right back to eating, your body never has a chance to sort of reset and take a break. So what we know is that um, in terms of gut health, it is better when you try to fit your meals into a 10-hour window. So what that means is if we're thinking about this on a 24-hour clock, Chuck, there are 14 consecutive hours where you are not consuming solid food. And there are 10 hours, that's your window. And this 10-hour window, you get to choose where the 10-hour window lines up. Some people really love having the 10-hour window early, meaning they have breakfast and lunch and maybe an early dinner. And some people really love doing it later in the day. And either is fine. There's one caveat. When you wake up in the morning, no solid food for an hour. And in the evening, no solid food for two to three hours before going to bed. Aside from those two caveats, you can move this 10-hour window wherever you want it. But I am a believer that having a 10-hour eating window and a 14-hour break is the way to go. All right. I want to put a pin on that and actually save that topic for like a full-blown discussion on another show. I think that that is fascinating. You know people, the exam roomies and fasting, bro. We just did a, a fasting study. I was mentioning Zoe a moment ago. We did a fasting study with Zoe. Now, this was in Europe. 140,000 people did an intervention study where they did this 10-hour window, Chuck. And we're just crunching the numbers now in terms of the data, but it is fascinating. And one of the things that we discovered that we didn't necessarily know was going to happen is that people had less digestive symptoms, less bloating when they put their meals into a 10-hour window. So it's, it's not just what you eat. It's when you eat. That's the message. How long do you think it takes for somebody who has been that chronic overeater for years to get that change if they start eating in that 10-hour window so they're not waking up feeling bloated? I mean, heck, I know that from my own experience. If I eat that midnight snack, I feel like I'm still digesting it when I open my eyes in the morning. Yeah, you are. And I think it's also negatively affecting the quality of your sleep. And those are some of the issues. And also the way that your body metabolically responds to food. Believe it or not, you could literally eat the exact same food. I'm talking the exact same food at two different times a day and get different responses in terms of your physiology. And that's, I mean, that's, it's crazy, but it is true. It is very well proven at this point. So, um, so how do we go about doing this? Well, you know, I think that part of this, this is a complex issue because I think that there's also can be an overlap with disordered eating. And if there are disordered eating tendencies, then we need, you don't just listen to Dr. B on the exam room podcast and make some minor, simple change and then have all your problems wash away. You need the support that's necessary to get through that issue. In some cases, medication may be necessary as well. That being said, generally speaking, Chuck, when we transition our microbiome, I am expecting changes within two weeks and I'm expecting even more robust changes within four weeks. That's not to say that four weeks is this magical threshold where everything is fixed, but it is saying that I do expect you to notice a difference in two to four weeks. All right. Let's see if we can get to this last question. Uh couple of questions here. We're going to combine them into one. We've got about two minutes left here in the show. Heidi uh, is wondering, uh, she says, I'm having my first colonoscopy next week. Yay, turning 50. Uh, and she's been told not to eat high fiber foods the week before. What should she do because she's eating whole food plant-based? And then to combine that, we also have somebody uh, at 1209 who is uh, also wondering, how do you reset the gut after having that colonoscopy and going through the prep. So what's your advice there? Um, okay. So this is interesting, Chuck, because I, we, we can make this answer very short if you want. And I will, I will try to unpack in less than two minutes. You know, I'm a talkative guy, um, <laughs> but I actually created an entire completely free resource to cover this, these, both of these questions, to be honest with you. And part of the reason why is because I, as you know, you, you and I have discussed this so many times on the show, 
I am a big believer in getting your colon cancer screening done and, and making sure that you're safe. I'm a big believer in colonoscopy and I want people to do it and be able to get through it in a way that works and makes it as pain-free as possible. So if you go to my website, you should find these resources on um, completely free on colonoscopy prep guide. You can also search on Google, you know, Dr. B colonoscopy prep guide. If you have trouble, message me through social media and I will work on it and get you taken care of. I will get it to you because this definitely exists. All right. That being said, um, so we have to be careful about specifically things that have skins, things that are leafy greens. We can't be eating salads in the days leading up to a colonoscopy. There is, there is a transition that we need to make in terms of our diet. Part of this is we can actually break down our food into very, very, very small pieces using a blender. That's one of the options. So when the fiber is so small that it's like little baby pieces that are almost microscopic, that's not the concern. The concern is that you just ate a piece of kale and yeah, you chewed it and yeah, you swallowed it. But now that big old piece of kale is going to be sitting inside your colon and blocking the view of the doctor. So that's one thing is that we can use a blender. The second thing is that this is actually the moment where many of the foods that I myself and many other people in this space say we don't want to make these foods a big part of our diet, things like white rice and white flour, you know, these are more processed forms of these foods, this is actually the time where you want to be eating them because the, the more processed food, again, this is just for a couple of days. When you're eating the more processed food, you actually um, are making it easier for your body to clear it out because they're lower in fiber. They don't have the big roughage. So it's pasta, white rice, white flour. Um, after you're done, in terms of recovery, the exact same principles that we discussed earlier on the show with regard to antibiotics are the principles that you want to follow. So what this means is high fiber diet. What this means is fermented foods, plant diversity. And then we also want to double and triple down on these opportunities, um, exercise and sleep and time spent with family and loved ones and time outdoors. And then lastly, really being cautious not to consume sugar, and ultra processed foods and saturated fat and alcohol during this period of like two to four weeks. But this week is fiber fueled week courses, 20% off through May 14th. My man, you are a wealth of knowledge as always. And I just, I can't wait for June now. I just can't wait to roll this back. This is so good, man. Thank you. Thank you, Chuck. And I just noticed that the good people at the, at the PCRM have dropped into the chat box the exact um, thing for the colonoscopy guide. So if anyone wants the colonoscopy guide, go to theplantfedgut.com slash colonoscopy. Theplantfedgut.com slash colonoscopy. I know exactly who that was, Emily. Thank you so much. That was amazing. Uh, look, uh, we have been in the Hangar Studios here in the heart of New York today, and we're going to be back up in New York on July 12th for the exam room live and in person. We sold out when we did L.A., coming back to the East Coast to do this July 12th. Here's the lineup, Dr. B. Uh, we've got myself, Dr. Neil Barnard's going to be there, Dr. Robert Osfeld, he's going to be there, such an amazing cardiologist, but then Rip Esselstyn from Plant Strong, he's going to be with us as well, and I know that we have only just a couple of tickets remaining for this one. So uh, get yours now, pcrm.org slash events, or there is also a link in the show description to hop on that. Met a lot of great roomies last night that I think are going to show up. So really, just a few tickets left, man. If you want to come, I'd get yours today, Dr. B. Uh, I, would, <laughs> I, I would love to. People need to grab these tickets because you guys sold out in L.A., yeah, and it was everyone that I've talked to who went to the LA event has been talking about how incredible it was. They had the best time. And like, I, I just, it's, it's not a question of whether it's going to sell out. It's a question of how soon it's going to sell out. So if you want to go to this event, like I would literally buy your tickets today. My man. Just, thank you. Seriously. <laughs> you. You have made my job easy, man. So uh, thank you so much. Don't forget, get your 20% off at theplantfedgut.com and leave that review for the Fiber Fueled Cookbook. Happy anniversary on that, my man. Thank you. Yeah, it's a lot of hard work. I'm very proud of it. I'm very proud of both of these books. And, you know, May May is the opportunity for us as a community to sort of celebrate these things together. Because I also am very proud of this wonderful community of people that I get to share this with, including the exam rooms. Yeah, man. 
glad to have you aboard, glad to be part of your community, and we're just all intermingling and making the world a healthier place, as I like to say. Trying. Had a great time up in New York meeting so many exam roomies this week for Dr. Barnard and his band Carbon Works event there. They just released new music, so they had a big event up there. So it was so good to meet so many great exam roomies in New York. And as a reminder, if you're listening to this on the day that the podcast is released, Dr. Barnard still has one more big show to go with his band Carbon Works. That will be at the AFI Silver Spring right outside of Washington, D.C. in Maryland. Get your tickets. There's a link to them right now in the episode notes. Hurry. That is Thursday, May 11th. One show still to go for Dr. Barnard's band Carbon Works, May 11th at the AFI Silver Spring. And don't forget, if you haven't already, please go ahead and give the exam room by the Physicians Committee a follow and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever it is that you get your shows, because every new subscription and five-star rating truly does help to make this world a healthier place and make this potentially life-saving information available to those who need it the most when they need it the most. So a follow and five stars goes a long way to help make the world a healthier place. And for today, that is going to wrap things up. I want to say thank you one more time to the incredible Gut Health MD, my dear friend, two-time New York Times bestselling author, Dr. Will Bolsowitz. Thank you so much for being here and helping to raise our health IQs, my friend. And for everyone at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant-based. <laughs>